0: Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. So happy Father's Day. And I want to say, you know, there's, there's so much up and down about dads and males and everything else that, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like where males don't know even what to do or what to be or who to be anymore. Uh, and, you know, in our, in our academic institutions, the, the whole history of humankind is blamed on the male. You know, if we had not been pa- patriarchs, there's a, there's a wire that was gonna be taped down and is not there. Now the screen has no signal. I don't know what it did have before then, but um, leave it to me, Mr. Magoo. So at any rate, uh, you know, we, we kind of hold our head down and someone says, uh, what gender, I'm male. <laughs> I'm a man, because uh, we, we feel so apologetic. We don't know who to, who to be. Uh, today, but I want to take a moment to say thank you, dads, for being dads. Uh, we thank moms for being moms, and in moms, if you're feeling we're leaving you out, we did have your day. So, um, and it will come in eleven months. And uh, if you had a bad dad, uh, I, you know, I'm so sorry for you. But that's for therapy day. Uh, for today, we wanted to just say thank you to the dads that uh, every day get up and and, uh, and be a dad to your kids. Uh, do the best that you know how to do. We're growing, we're learning as we raise kids. Kids raise us, and we decide what our, what our dads did and what we want to keep and what tools we want to throw away. That doesn't work anymore. I always joke about the fact that... Uh, uh, Dads from the second generation kind of grew up in an autocratic, uh, you know, tyranny kind of situation where uh, we heard in our home, "Yours is is not to reason why, yours is but to do or die," and that you know. And then I realized that doesn't work today. That's just that's not the style uh, that works today. And maybe. Um, you know, maybe not the style that Jesus would have used. So we're trying to figure it out, dads. but uh, my sincere thank you uh, for being dads and your children. Thank you. And and my prayers today are with you, that you would continue to be uh, all that God has created you to be. Thank you, dads. I want to share with you a a difficult thing uh, and a thankful thing uh, regarding our worship leader. I hope you're enjoying the worship leading this morning, but this uh, week we had a bit of a surprise and trial uh, regarding our wonderful worship leader, Jung Park. Uh, Jung uh, suddenly out of nowhere had some difficulty uh, right before the service last Sunday night uh, that caused us to think something was happening, either a panic or anxiety attack. Nobody knew. And uh, that night at the hospital turned out that uh, he had a tumor that uh, was unknown to anybody. And, uh, and so there was an urgent need for surgery that took place this last Wednesday uh, to remove the tumor. And uh, I'm Thankful to report to you that the neurosurgeon uh, did a wonderful job and uh, all his faculties are intact and um, uh, is just in recovery now. And uh, he's got to go through some physical therapy. Uh, you know, he has, his, he was up here on the, the left side. He has his speech. He has his uh, right motor skills still there. Uh, but he's weak and uh, will need some recovery time, uh, some prayers, and some physical therapy. So it, it's, it's a shock to all of us. We love him deeply. And so, because we love him, uh, I would really ask you to add him to your prayer list. Some of you, I pray regularly. Uh, some of you do it in the morning, some in the evening, uh, no matter. And some of you at meals, if you would just add a prayer. Can you imagine if a few thousand people were praying for you every day? You would be amazing, <laughs> right? Um, well, we're going to do that for Jung and uh, and ask that God brings him back to us quickly. We do ask that uh, you would hold this as a, uh, a time for no visitors. This is a time they, Jung is probably the most amazing father that I've known. And, um, so it's a time for the four boys to be loved by him and for him to love them and, uh, find him secure. You'll be happy to know that he still has all of his hair. <laughs> the doctor was kind and just, uh, shaved one spot and, uh, unlike some of us, and, and uh, so he, he's no swelling, he just looks great, but uh, it's a time of rest and recoup, and I know that some of you are amazingly loving people, so this out- announcement is going to go right past your ears and say, I don't care, I'm going in because I love that guy, and I guess, could you not do that, um, just not for the next few weeks, they're, they're asking for that kind of privacy as they retool, regroup as a family and uh, prepare to go forward. So join me, will you, as we pray. Father, we do love Jung. We thank you for him. Uh, You know, God, uh, he's been with me in this church for probably 12, 14 years. And uh, we pray, God, that you would heal him totally completely we thank you that you have given him such a great doctor and you've given him such already good physical therapy and that he's an all-star when it comes to physical therapy but we pray that all the tissue that needs to be healed would be healed and that uh, he would come through this ordeal with flying colors We pray for the comfort and encouragement to Misty and the boys. And then God, for us as a church, we thank you for the depth of musicians and worship leaders that you've gifted us with in this church. And uh, as we reach into our bench to have different people lead worship, we thank you, God, that you've given us such great hearts to lead us. So be with us as a church as we go forward, and then, Father, we look forward to that day of celebration uh, when Jung is back up here with us. So heal him, we pray, and now speak to us this day as we study your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So today, I want to study with you from Joshua chapter 1, the dynamic, the issue of leadership. I think this is a day where, particularly on Dad's Day, we need leaders to rise up. We need men to rise up and be men. And uh, Joshua's call from God, as you'll see, to be strong and courageous is a great call for all of us. I wish we had strong, courageous people all throughout our society, and particularly the church. This is a time where we need true leadership. Leadership is a funny thing. And I thought about it a lot over the years because it it comes in so many shapes and sizes. I think we're all leaders to some degree or other, male or female, young or old, we're all leaders. And by that I mean we all have a sphere of influence, even if you only have one friend. Uh, you're influencing that friend. You lead yourself. You lead your own soul. You lead your own body you, in, in all that you do in your life. You're, you're leading yourself. And some of us are good leaders and some of us are not so good leaders. But one di- dichotomy I've drawn is the fact that we have some people that are only Disneyland dads. Uh, it's just, I'm going to give you candy and fun. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want, That's who I am because I am Mr. Fun. And we have a lot of those in Washington. You know, whatever you want, I'm going to give you. Just re vote for me. And uh, that's all I'll say about politics. Relax. (laughs) But he's kind of the person that says, I like to lead, I like to talk, I like to hear myself talk. And you apparently are looking for someone to fill the void, so why not? I'll do it. And I'll just give you everything that you like, so you like me, and we'll do this again. And this, My vernacular is it's the Disneyland dad. Now, I'm a Disneyland dad in the sense that I love Disneyland. But that's not the only place we lead the people who are following, particularly if we're parents with children. There's room and there's time for the disciplined dad. And by discipline, I don't mean simply punishment. I mean training, guiding, coaching, helping them to become. And, and a disciplined dad projects, where do I want my kids to be when they're 28? Before I dump them off onto the world and say, whew, uh, because you know that's not how it happens. You're, you're dad for life, And what are they going to be like when they go out into the world? So a a disciplined dad has a view of where this needs to go. Just like a coach has a view of the season that we want to win. The game we want to win. Not just this particular moment. And a disciplined dad is thinking about uh, the tough times. Because it's not always going to be easy. And who are we when we go through the tough times. And that's where Joshua comes in, because Joshua is being handed a very, very difficult task. In the journey, the history of Israel, it's probably the most difficult time in the story of Israel up until this point. So we come to verse one of chapter one, and we read, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of none. By the way, wouldn't you love that to have on your epitaph? Servant of the Lord. Just not what you did, how amazing you were. Just served God. My wife told me recently that she was going to put on my epitaph, the one who has the most fun wins. Because <laughs> I say that all the time. Hey, the one who has the most fun wins. I think I'm winning. And... Um, <laughs> So maybe I'll, I'll have that one instead. <laughs> Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where, you're, where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon uh, From the great river Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea. So we go from north to south, east to west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it, from the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So the command here to Joshua is to fill the gap to fill the gap that Moses is leading with strength and courage. And so over and over, God gives him one clear command, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. This word strong has the idea of, it's a cluster of words that we would use to be bold, to be alert, to be stout. In this day where we all need to be feely, touchy, and nice, there is a place for someone to arise to be bold, to be alert, to be strong. And to be courageous means to be confident. There's nothing wrong with being confident, for being firm, as the word implies, to being resolute. You might even translate it to be brave. It's how we think of the great generation, the, the men and women that fought in World War II and how we remember them, this strong and courageous generation. And the second command here is to be very courageous, which means uh, as courageous as you can be. It's not just a comparative, it's a superlative. To be most courageous. Now, why? Well, you have to go back to the historical context to understand. Moses has been a phenomenal leader. On the one hand, he's been the, the most humble servant the world has ever known. That's what the Bible says about him, that he was a very humble man. It's not how we think of leaders, but humility and boldness are not antonyms. They go hand in hand. You can be bold and arrogant. You can be bold and mean-spirited and and a tyrant, but you can also be bold and humble. Humble has to do with self-awareness that I'm not the greatest person in the world, that there is a God and it is not me. So Moses was this guy and he was this guy for 40 years. And the people he led were not easy people. You can read about it in the book of Exodus. They were very, very difficult people. They had their own opinion, they had their own idea, and sometimes there were other leaders that rose up and said, let's go back to Egypt, or why does Moses get to, they were people challenging him all the time. And Moses dealt with all of that. And Joshua was kind of his aide, as he's called here, his sidekick. He was one of the spies that went into the land. When 10 of the spies said, we've been into the land, it's frightening. It's horrible. There are giants in the land. The cities are huge fortresses. We cannot do it. And that led to them wandering the wilderness for 40 years in the Sinai Desert. But Joshua was one of the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, that came back and told Moses and the people We can do this thing. The land is fruitful. Uh, You know, they're nothing before God. Now, let me pause here because some of us now, because of our, our view of war and our view of democracy and our view of egalitarianism and our view of compassion and so forth, We have the idea of live and let live and just let everybody get along and whatever. And we're horrified when we think of a a people group going into another land that's occupied from other people. We would mostly say that's an ungodly act. No one should ever do this, except this was an instance where God had chosen Israel. Two things, just so you know, Israel's history One was they were to become the utopia, the great experiment of what would it be like if one people group on the planet practiced all the ways of God, loving him with all they are and loving each other as ourselves. And so God gives all of these justice laws in detail so that they might be that people group. And then the end result was that all the other nations of the earth would look on and say, oh my gosh, What's their secret? What's the secret sauce? And they would be drawn to God. That was the plan, okay? The other thing to know about this is the reason they were going to come in and oust the Canaanites and the Amorites is for God's judgment upon the people. That people group practiced all kinds of practices that were just horrible. One, the the one that's stands out the most is uh, human sacrifice. Uh, they, because of fear of Molech, they would sacrifice their firstborn male of every family uh, on the altar of Molech. And, uh, and it, it, was, it was horrible before God's eyes to think that that's what any deity would require. And so God didn't allow the Israelites to go into the land for 400 years because it says that their sin has not become ripe. It was sin- their sin was getting worse and worse and worse and worse until God said, okay, now the time has come to judge this people group. So for those two reasons, Israel is going into the land, and it's to become the promised land. And Joshua is the guy. And the words that are spoken here are the very words that Moses already spoke before he died. He spoke these words to Joshua in Deuteronomy 31. Then David speaks these words to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous. And God speaks these words to Hezekiah, the king, when he's about to be attacked by the Assyrians. And then Joshua speaks these words to the entire people. To everyone, there is a place for you and I in our role influencing people to be strong and courageous. And if we are not, the opposite can happen. Either I am a leader who is terrified, who doesn't uh, know what to say, doesn't know what to do, and is passive, but worse yet, Usually, when there's a void of leadership, someone else will arise. Some other loudmouth will arise and perhaps say something, present something, which is not the best idea. So if God has called you, whatever your sphere of influence, whatever your footprint is, whether it's large or small, why not? Why not be the person that God has called you to be. So we think that courage sometimes is just overcoming external obstacles, but sometimes the courage that we need is overcoming the internal obstacles. You know, we have a lot of internal obstacles. Today, we live in a time where uh, the internal voices are... um, What's what's my gift? What do I like to do? What's my favorite color? What gives me energy? And a lot of us would not be doing what we're doing now if we started there. It's, it's, those are good questions, those more humanistic questions, but they're only part of the question. Uh, probably a lot of you didn't decide to have kids based on Uh, this is my favorite color, or if we had kids, it would really give me energy. You're probably more like Jan and I and just said, hey, be kind of (laughs) cool. We didn't have a whole theology about it. We didn't think about leadership. We didn't think about any of these things. But nowadays it's it's all it's all about me. What do you like to do it? Well then don't do anything you don't like. Uh, does it give it you energy? Well don't do anything that doesn't give you energy. Is it the kind of the color that you feel? Is that the car you would want? To, is that your image? And so when we think of stepping out and leading in an area it's if it starts with self those internal obstacles you'll probably never do it. You're already too busy. But sometimes there's a need for someone to do something to step up and be the man. To be who God has called you to be. If you don't, or if you look at what terrifies you, it will only grow. The, the people of Israel are terrifying. Will they complain? Yep. Will they sin? Yep. (laughs) Will they probably go left when you say right? Yep. Guaranteed. And you get to lead them. It's a losing proposition. And when things go south, will you be blamed? Yep. So... Sometimes dads, we sometimes, well, I think I'll just sit back now because, wow, if I lead here and it doesn't go well, I'll be blamed. It takes courage to step out in spite of the potential of blame, in spite of the potential of things not going well. If you don't, the fear that terrifies us will only get bigger. Fear never goes away. You can't just look at fear and say, well, maybe if I just ignore the fear, it will just go away. It, it only grows. I remember a time when we were down in Mexico. My my dad, my wonderful dad, had taken us down to Huimas, Mexico, uh, and um, he had allowed my 16-year-old brother, who just received... I don't know. He was 15 and a half. He was, uh, had his driver's license and allowed him to drive part of the way down those narrow roads to almost Mazatlan. And, uh, I, you know, that was terrifying enough for me to see my brother driving the car. But when we got down there, we had a great time. We're camping, water skiing, and we discovered. Some cliffs. Now there were some friends of ours who were 17 and 18, and they took us to these cliffs. And there we are, 14 and 15, almost 16, and um, and these cliffs. Now I remember them as 60 feet high. They were the height of telephone poles. But I've looked at most telephone poles lately, and they seem to be more like 35 to 40 feet high. So I have to kind of deconstruct it in my mind now and think I probably exaggerated the height. But these older teenagers were jumping off the cliff. It was a deep pool. Why not? And and so forth and so on. So my brother and I decide we're going to do it. And we climb the face of the cliff up to this point. And my brother looks over the cliff and he sees the water. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked at water from heights, but it's a little bit different than land, because it twinkles. It has the reflection of the light. And the more you look at it, it starts out at 40 feet, and then it grows to 400 feet, and it grows to four miles. It's just, it's just amazing how far it feels. And so my brother was just staring at it and staring at it. Everybody said, come on, come on, you can do it. Come on, come on, come on. And finally, we stopped after about 20 minutes and just let him think about it. And finally, after 45 minutes, the younger brother says, are you going to jump or not? And then he says, you go. (laughs) So I had already learned something. Don't look at the water, right? I learned it from him, it terrified. Now, I have to tell you that you know people, I didn't tell them the rest of the story, which is my usual mode of operation. Uh, I did jump, I, I didn't know that you're supposed to pull your hands up or down. So, you know, you, you essentially belly flop your arms. Really, really painful. Fear doesn't go away. You have to decide. There are good fears. Don't go against a train on a track. That is a good fear. You hear the whistle, get off the track. On the other hand, there's fears that we make up in our minds, and they get bigger and bigger the more we stare at them. We need to be strong and courageous, and to not be is a word none of us want to hear. Coward. We don't want to hear that word. We think, well, I just, I'm not a coward, I just didn't do anything. We have to be willing to fail, and to step out of the boat, and do what God has called us to do. So I don't think now is a time, not in our family, not in our school system, not in our nation, to turn down the volume of leadership. Now is a time to turn up the volume of leadership with the right kind of leadership, the kind of leadership that knows where it's going and doesn't just want to vote, doesn't want just your vote, to give you candy, to give you... Uh, A reason why you should vote for me. The kind of leadership says, this is gonna be hard. We don't know how we're gonna get here, but this is my plan. And that's what I think God has called us to do. Peter is a great example of this. He lived it all. He stared at fear, and guess what he did? He denied the Lord three times. Yes, they could kill you. Yes, you could die with Jesus if you admit that you're a follower of Jesus. But then, Acts chapter two, Acts chapter four, Acts chapter five, you have Peter standing up, this new courageous warrior to fill the gap and to be the man that God had called him to be. There's a wonderful story in the Old Testament that some of you know in the book of Nehemiah, where Nehemiah, this, this uh, cupbearer for the king way back, in, in Persia is now being asked to go back to Israel and to plant the city of Jerusalem and to rebuild the city. And he gets there, and people begin to make fun of it. People will make fun of you if you lead. And people begin to harass him and say, "Are you doing something?" Because people will harass you if you lead. But there's kind of a a cool moment in Nehemiah six where different people who have been in the land and they see him persisting in building the walls of Jerusalem, they come to challenge him, to mock him, and, and distract him, and he finally says, listen, I am doing a good work here and I cannot come down to debate it. It's a great line of leadership. I'm not perfect, I'm not the best, but I am doing a good work here and I'm not coming down to discuss it or decide whether I'm gonna do it or not. Quarterbacks are a great visible image of this because quarterbacks have to decide are they gonna stay in the pocket or not. If you're a quarterback, you know that there's a potential of you being sacked two to seven times in every game and sometimes more depending on your line. (laughs) And if it's a bad year for your line, then you're just gonna be steamrolled all year long. There's a tendency to wanna move out of the pocket, to roam, the Doug Flutie style. You're not tall enough, you don't know where everybody is, and you don't wanna stay in the pocket, you're gonna get creams, so you roll out. And maybe you get a Hail Mary, and you get the Heisman Trophy. But history tells us that quarterbacks and leaders stay in the pocket. We have a saying in our country, if you don't like the heat, get out of the kitchen. It's gonna be hot if you decide to lead moms and dads. It's just the way it is. Now, the reason for leadership scripturally and in this text is not just because you feel like it or you enjoy it or you're the first one to speak. Uh, There's a reason for leadership and it's it's given to us in verse six. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land, I swore to their forefathers to give them. In other words, there's a job to be done. A leader sees in the future what needs to be done. It could be that not everybody sees what the future is. But they believe in you as a leader that that's where you see and that's where you want to take them. It's, it's a leader that believes in the product of their company. It's, it's a parent that sees what a child could be 20 years from now. It's an athlete that's being coached Because the coach believes in them, not just their athletic talent, but who they are as the person. So Joshua is called to lead, and it says here, you will lead. There's no one else who's going to do the job. You, literally, will lead, Joshua, because it's your destiny, and this is what the future is for the people. So the people don't simply need to be led... They need to be led by someone and they need to be led somewhere and that's where good leadership comes in. They need to be led by someone and they need to be led somewhere and in this case it's to the promised land. Now you and I have watched leaders. I mean we see them every day they're on your screens they're 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 everywhere in our society they're in in our families and you and i would argue there are good leaders and bad leaders right and it's not just where they lead us to but it's the the motive of their leadership and we would be the first to admit as a country that we have some people that just lead out of ego i love me you love me let's do this thing and let's, let's celebrate me. That's one form of leadership. Another form of leadership is uh, financial gain. Man, if I have my name in that big a lights, I can only imagine what I'll get over the years is if I follow this route of being a leader. And then other people lead because of the need to control. And we have to slap their hands. Could you stop? controlling everything and live within your boundaries. So everybody leads for all kinds of inappropriate reasons, but eventually, under that leadership, we say the king has no clothes on. We're not going anywhere. We haven't arrived anywhere. So what do we do? Well, you know, there's been some wonderful leaders, not only in our spiritual history, Old and New Testament and church history, phenomenal leaders that have selflessly led. But even in our nation, the Abraham Lincolns of our nation that have said, you know, this is tough. I think Franklin Roosevelt was an amazing leader through a very difficult time in our country. There's been, and we could go on, different leaders that have risen at different times. But... Ultimately, a leader realizes it's an opportunity for me to influence people, not with me, but with where we're going, what the vision is. Salt and light. You see, wow, I'm salt and light in this world, I'm going to influence these people to be Salt in light in their sphere of influence, and you as a leader see it. Most people think of Michelangelo as an artist, but he, I think, is convincingly a leader. Michelangelo the story is told that uh, he carved David out of this 17foot well, actually started 20-foot tall, 12,000 pound hunk of marble, and you ask, well, why would he do that? Because he saw David trapped inside the marble. He, as a leader, said, I can sculpt him out of there, I can chisel him out of there, because I see David. What you may not know is 50 years before Michelangelo, Donatella tried to sculpt something out of this hunk of marble and failed. And he said, it was inferior marble. It will never work for a sculpture. And he laid it aside. It laid there for 50 years. That's a lot of marble. And Michelangelo saw this piece of marble. I think it's what God does with you and me. God's a leader, right? He sees who you could be. And, and everyone else says, they'll never amount to anything. And God says, let me give you, a, give me a chance. And he begins to work on you, and you become his, his piece of art. And so, you and I are called to say, you know, particularly as dads, I see what my kids can be. I see who they are. It's not just handing them a ball and a glove. That's part of it. But it's more than that. I see who can they be in character. I see that who can, they can be as a lover of God. And we begin to aim for that as leaders. So how do we be strong and courageous? Verse seven, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. This command to obey is repeated over and over. And he's saying, this is how you will be strong and courageous against the obstacles. You will obey the law. To obey the law meant to respect the law, that this is God's map that he's given us, that we're just not going to make it up on the fly, that there's a way that he's called for us to live, and not for us to just live however we want to live. And he uses this phrase, we're not to look to the left or to the right, but straight ahead at the law. I don't know if it's on the left or on the right, but there are enticements, discouragements, temptations, failures, that await us. And if we get obsessed with what's on the left or to the right, we'll forget about the map. We'll steer off to the left or to the right. I'm told that if you're driving and you start looking at the automobiles in the lane to your left, you're going to start going over closer to those cars. Or on the right, you start dangerously becoming closer to those cars that we got to look straight ahead down the center of our lane. And the word of God is given to us. Now, let me say something. You still there? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> The word of God is given to us for a particular reason and some of us have the wrong reason. Can I correct you? The wrong reason is sin management. Well, he gave me the Bible, it's filled with 400 don'ts and, and it's because he doesn't want me to have fun. He just wants me to not do this, and he wants me to not do this, and he wants me, and and that's a sin management view of the Bible. You're managing your sin. Every day, I want to do this, but God says I can't. I don't know. I'll wrestle with this again tomorrow because I, you know, it's just, um, it's just kind of an unhealthy negative view of the word of God. You got to look beyond that to find, it's not, why does he want to manage your sin and your good stuff. Why does he? Because in the Bible says it here, it, he, he wants to do this because he wants you to prosper, he wants you to thrive. Father knows best, he is the ultimate benevolent father, but wise father. And so, because he knows that, then he wants you to follow. The word of God. The literal here "Hatorah," the Torah. So he urges us to meditate. In verse 8, to meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Jan and I go regularly down to visit our dads in... Uh, uh, Carmel Valley, where they live in a, an assisted living home. And uh, and we live in Encinitas. And so you'd say, well, it's not very far. It's actually uh, only six miles. But around this time of year, with fare traffic and then coming horse race traffic, and then the improvement of our freeway that's going to maybe be finished in my lifetime... Uh, all bets are off. Sometimes it takes us 45 minutes to go six miles. So it's 45 minutes one way, 45 minutes back, and we still haven't seen them. You know, and if you do that every day or every other day, it's, it's a lot of, of hours, so we Google map it. You do the same, and sometimes it's 12 minutes. I'm going, this is a great time. <laughs> and we're always looking for alternate routes which there aren't many, but we're looking for the... Why not do that with the word of God every day? Because we stray, we begin to think we know better than God, but every day to ground myself with the word of God. Obedience is a wonderful thing for leaders. We want leaders who are submitted to another leader. Someone who's not just the king of the world. And unfortunately, in a democracy, we sometimes can think that I'm the king of my own kingdom. But there's a better way to live, and that's subservient to the ultimate king who knows better for you and I. Jesus said the same, if you love me, keep my command. So when I speak it, when I meditate on it, when I read it, it reinforces what I know what I believe. Ah, yeah, there's the map. That's how I navigate the reefs. Psalm 1-1 says this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, the word of God, the Bible, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers because it's God's plan. And then finally, God's faithful promise. Look at verse 5. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. What a great promise. You're going to be with me as much as you were with Moses And then these wonderful words that we all think that Jesus spoke while he was on the earth, which is not true, it's actually the words from God to Moses and then now the words of God to Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Wow, what a promise. Again, he says in verse 7, that you may be successful wherever you go. Verse 8, that you may be prosperous and successful. For the Lord your God will be with you forever, wherever you go. So God wants you to thrive. We inordinately think that if I obey God and I follow God, he's going to be like a cookie cutter, cutting the dough. He's going to put the cookie cutter, and he's going to throw away all the other parts of me that don't fit into this Christian Bible thing. And so I say, I don't know if I'm a Christian Bible thing, and I love this part of me, and this part of me. He's going to cut it all away, throw it in the trash can. That's your view of God. That is not God's view of himself. He knows your uniqueness. He knows your calling, and he wants you to thrive. There it is in the text, to be prosperous, to be successful wherever you go. And more than that, he wants to be your loving father, that you know will never leave you or forsake you. So when you go through the hard times, the discouraging times, the terrifying times as a leader, and if you've not been there yet as a parent, you just have not had any teenagers yet. You know, there's moments coming for you where you just say, ah, I don't know how to do this thing. God's promise to you is he will never leave you or forsake you. And I wonder if that's the ultimate gain, that the ultimate gain is not where you lead the people to be but the discovering of the intimacy that you have with God and have discovered along the journey, right? Have you ever watched a toddler look around for their parent? You know, they're either waddling or maybe crawling and, and then they suddenly, whoa, 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 where am I? How did I get here? And they look around to see mom or dad. And if you're not where they just left you, it's kind of a moment of panic. And they start looking more of, wow, where, where'd they go? But usually, if they just look ahead, they find out that the mom or dad, knowing that they're going wherever they are, and they're gonna put everything in their mouth, will walk around and be waiting for them. They never left. They've been watching the whole time. They're part of of our lives, so is God. So here's some questions for all of us, particularly though Dads today. So God's command is to be strong and courageous. Question number one, what difficult leadership task is ahead for you? Number two, what mission or influence has God given you? Number three, do you believe that the fingerprints of God's kingdom, God's nature are important for that sphere of influence that God has given you. Do you think it's going to be hard or easy? The demand of time is tough to raise a baby from zero to 25. In what area do you need to be strong and courageous? Folks, you and I have a model. It's Jesus. What a great leader, fabulous leader, attentive, listening, guiding, patient, but nevertheless, always focused on the cross. And when it came to Gethsemane, where it was the hardest, he pressed through and he went to the goal for your salvation and for my salvation, right? What a great leader that you and I follow, that now promises you. His words were, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The same as I will never leave you or forsake you. Many of you know that much of my theology comes from J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, C.S. Lewis, Narnia, and Star Wars. (laughs) So here are the words of Yoda to Luke Skywalker. When Luke Skywalker, in that first episode, is debating of whether he's to now take on the mantle of being a Jedi and do this, which Yoda has described him to do, Luke Skywalker is hesitant to be a leader, right? And so he says this, "All right, I'll give it a try." And what does Yoda say? "No. Yeah. <laughs> do or do not do. There is no try." It's not a leader say, all right, whatever, I'll give it a try. All you've done is be blamed and guilted into doing it. And it's not, not enough to last for the tough times. You have to decide, are you in or you're not? Are you gonna be a man? Are you gonna not be a man? Are you gonna rise to the occasion of being a leader in that small sphere of influence? Do or do not do. There is no try trying doesn't have the momentum to get you through the difficult times. And now for my theology from Lord of the Rings. (laughs) This is from Aragorn as he rides a horse in front of the gates of Mordor. And you perhaps can picture this scene. Sons of Gondor and Rohan, my brothers, I see In your eyes, the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when courage of men fails. When we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But that is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields. When the age of men comes crashing down. But that is not this day. This day we fight. By all of you, but by by all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West. And as I have prayed for you and thought about the times we live in, I thought, you know, there will be a time, the Bible says, when the hearts of, of many grow cold. There's, there may be a time when it's it's darker and more difficult than it is even now to be a Christian, to be dads, to be moms, to be leaders uh, in the public, mainstream scene. But that's not this day. And this is a day that we need leaders to become the people that God is looking for, to be strong and courageous. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this day For the voice of the spirit and for the firm word that's in our scriptures. And God, we don't look to ourselves, we look to you. We look to the needs in the sphere of influence that you've given us. We don't even look to success. We don't look to accolades We don't look to merit. We look to the cause. And Lord, we raise our hands and we say, here I am. Send me. And God, I pray that in this, in this day, you would raise up, not only in Washington, but in all different parts of our world and our society, true leaders. True leaders who see the potential of what could be and that we give ourselves, even in the tough times, even in the terrifying times, to be strong and courageous because of you. And we put our trust in you. Holy Spirit, blow your wind into our sails and particularly into the sails of dads today. As we're in midstream, raising our kids or grandkids. God, that you would give us courage to step up and be the people that our kids need. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.